What's going on, everybody? Caleb Carter here, and you are listening to the Royal Pursuit Podcast. And today, we're going to do something a little bit different. We're going to talk about words. Not just regular words, but Hebrew words. And we're going to see why it's so important to dig deeper than just a surface-level translation. We're going to take a look at one of the Ten Commandments from Exodus when God gives Moses the Ten Commandments. And what we're going to see is that this third commandment that we've always heard about has a lot less to do about how you use the Lord's name and a lot more to do about how you wear it. So it's going to be a lot of fun. We have a lot to cover. So let's jump in. Okay, so let's jump in. And I know what you might be thinking to start. Why is this important at all? Why do I need to understand anything about ancient languages to understand the Bible? And the answer to that isn't exactly straightforward because it's important for you to have a foundational understanding of how these languages work because sometimes our translations aren't always exactly helpful in helping us understand the actual meaning behind the text. And so if you don't know, the Old Testament is written in ancient Hebrew, whereas the New Testament is written in Koine Greek. And then we get our English translation. And each Bible translates these words to the best of their ability. And a lot of people don't understand why these words are translated in different Bibles. So from the King James, New American Standard, uh, NIV, why are they using different words at times? Well, the answer to that is that Hebrew is a word-poor language. They only have about 8,000 words in the ancient Hebrew language. And because of that, you had to have multiple uses for each word. And we can compare that to the English language today, which has somewhere around 400,000 words in its language. And so this kind of creates a challenge, but an opportunity when we read the word because each word can have multiple meanings. A great example of this can be found in the word yada, the Hebrew word to know. And you can see it all throughout the Bible. Uh, and when you hear that, to know, you think intellectually, understanding something. And that's used a lot in that sense. But it's also used uh, in Genesis chapter 4, verse 1, when Adam comes to know Eve in an intimate spouse relationship. And so, all these different words have all these different uses, and sometimes it's important for us to be able to dig down deeper and understand that root meaning, because what if, what if just a single word changes the meaning ever so slightly? And not that it's going to be anything that just changes how you view God or Jesus, but it gives you a greater appreciation, a deeper understanding of what is being communicated here. And that's what we need to do. So going back to what we have talked about the last few weeks, we always want to make sure we're asking questions of the text. We don't want to just read through it like it's a story, but we need to ask questions and look for strange occurrences and patterns because that is how it was written. And once we understand that, it becomes so much more beautiful. A good example is here in the Ten Commandments. So Exodus chapter 20, starting at verse 1 God speaks all these words uh, to Moses on the mountain. And what's interesting about the Ten Commandments, and I didn't realize this until I was actually reading another book about Jewish culture, is that it's the third commandment where God kind of adds a little extra spice on the end of it. God actually says, 
after he tells Moses, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. And that's interesting. We as the reader should ask why. He doesn't say it at the end as all these commandments, and he doesn't say it after not murdering or committing adultery, um, but here, misusing the name of the Lord. And I would just ask you, if if I was a non-Christian and I said, help me understand these Ten Commandments, what do they mean, really? And you got to this third commandment. My bet is that you have heard it taught that this is all about not using the Lord's name as a profanity, not cussing and saying GD or saying the Lord's name just in a, in a negative sense. Um, that's what you would more than likely say, because that's what I heard growing up. And I think a lot of us have. But the question is, is that really what God was commanding uh, to Moses? And is that really the serious posture that God has afterwards? And don't get me wrong. This isn't a, a plea to be able to use God's name in any other way other than reverently praising him and adoring him. Um, but I think that the command is so much deeper than just how we say God's name. And so we'll jump into this. And to do that, I want you to understand that I am not leaning on my own biblical scholarship. I do have some training. I do have a bachelor's in biblical studies, but I am by far not a scholar. And so I'm actually referring to the work of Dr. Michael Heiser. He was a biblical scholar, had a Ph.D., in ancient Semitic languages, and he's written several books. And I'll link uh, a video of his in the description so you can check it out later. And actually, uh, Dr. Michael Heiser is no longer with us. He passed away last year from cancer, which was a super big bummer for me. Um, But it's neat to see him going to the Lord. And he had a podcast, and it was so cool because he would still record his episodes, and he would be talking about his struggle with cancer and the treatments. And he just had such a such a a strong faith, and and just a a delightful position in where he was at in life. And so what we need to do, what Dr. Michael Heiser would encourage us to do, is to research the text. So when I'm reading Exodus 20, verse 7, I'm not confined to just what I'm reading here in my Bible. I've got Google now. And the nice thing about Google is there's all these awesome websites that are devoted to helping you understand the Bible better. One of the greatest websites that you can use is blueletterbible.com or Bible Hub. And these sites can help you pull up the Hebrew or the Greek behind the passage so you can understand each word uh, and how it was used in all these different occurrences. Uh, So a great example, when we read Exodus chapter 20, verse 7, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. That word misuse is the one we want to look at. So we could type that into our browser. And what we would find is that the word in Hebrew is nasaw. Nassau has been used in the Bible over 650 times, and often the word is used to describe lifting up, carrying, or to bear, to put on. And that's fascinating. So if we are the reader, we can ask, what does that mean? Why are we asked to be very careful when we carry or lift up the name of God? Already, we can start to see that this seems to be a departure from just how we say God's name and something deeper. When you watch Michael Heiser and he talks about the culture of first century Judaism or even just ancient cultures, names had a lot of meaning. Names were kind of what 
led you to understand who that person was or where they came from. And so he says that this isn't the only place that we find this occurrence in the Bible. Actually, just a few chapters down the road in Exodus chapter 28, verse 29, Aaron, who is the brother of Moses, he is going to be the high priest. And God is talking about what he's going to do when he enters into the temple, into the holy place. And it reads, whenever Aaron enters the holy place, he will nassah the names of the sons of Israel over his heart. So that is to bear the names of the sons of Israel. It's the exact same Hebrew word. And in this instance, it's talking about Aaron wearing the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. He's going to serve as a representative when he goes into the temple before God. And so this theme is not unique to the Ten Commandments, but it's found all throughout the scriptures of this idea of wearing a name, of bearing it. And and this really shouldn't sound too foreign to us even in the West, though we're not that big on family names and things like that. When I was in high school, we had coaches that would tell us if we were going out on Friday and we were wearing our jerseys or we're going to eat at restaurants on lunch break, they would tell you, hey, remember what colors you're wearing today. Remember whose name you're wearing on your shirt. Remember who you're representing. And what was he saying? What was he meaning by that? He was meaning that our actions out in the public would reflect the place that we were coming from, would reflect our school. So people would look at us and associate us with our school. And I think that is exactly what God is telling Moses about, that once you choose to be mine, to be my firstborn, to be my image bearer, that you better bear it well. And God takes that really seriously. And I think that it's something that should be a a weightiness to it, but also a delight to be able to come in the name of the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, and to, to be that representative. Like, what an honor. And if we think about this idea and we start really dwelling on what does it mean to be an example, to be a representative, we realize that that is exactly, I mean exactly what Jesus's plan was all the way from the beginning. Jesus came to be a perfect example. He bore his father's name perfectly. So when people looked at Jesus, it was a perfect representation of God, a pure representation. And I think that's exactly what he's saying in John 14 to Philip. When he says to him, don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? Jesus is saying that he is the perfect example. He is the perfect image bearer of the creator of the universe. And I just, <laughs> it blows my mind to think about, to think that that is exactly what Jesus did. He perfectly embodied God's image to the rest of the world. And God's name is so important all throughout the Bible. And we see all these passages where God is talking about his name, and it starts to make more sense. This isn't just something about how we use God's name as an expletive out of anger or out of fear. And again, I don't, I don't want you to get me wrong. This is a this is not saying that we can just use God's name flippantly because we shouldn't. But I think that idea rolls up under this bigger idea that every element of my life should reflect 
how good God is. When I go to the store and I interact with a, a, a clerk or when I am at work and the level of effort and quality that I put out, it says something about my God if people know that I'm a God follower. And as I was studying this cool book from a scholar named Lois Tverberg, she wrote a book called Walking in the Dust of Rabbi Jesus. And the book is epic. I will link it in the description. But it's all about getting more immersed in the Jewish words and culture that Jesus lived in. And she is talking about this idea of hallowing the name of God, which was a concept that the Jewish rabbis were teaching long before Jesus was born. And so to hallow the name was Kedush Hashem. And and that was to bring glory to God's name. And you could also do the opposite. Halul Hashem meant to profane the name. So if you did something irreverent or wrong or evil or just plain, you know, mean, you were bringing dishonor to the name of God. And there was this story that she shared, and I'm just going to read this excerpt about this ancient rabbi sage named Simeon ben Shittach. And he lived about a hundred years before Jesus. And the story goes that his disciples bought their impoverished teacher a donkey from a wealthy Arab trader to ease their mentor's daily burdens. When they combed through its mane, they found a jewel that had fallen from one of its expensive loads. And the disciples rejoiced at their teacher's newfound wealth. But Shatach refused it, ordering his disciples to find the Arab and return the jewel. When the disciples located the trader, he was breathless at regaining his prize, declaring, Blessed be the God of Simeon, Ben Shatach. Because of the rabbi's great honesty, the foreigner gave praise to God. This is what it means in rabbinic parlance to sanctify the name, Kedush Hashem. It means to live in such a way as to bring the God glory among those who do not know him. And I think about that. What a powerful testimony about your life in bringing glory and honor to God. I'm going to share a quick testimony that a friend told me just a couple days ago, and I will leave him nameless for the story. But he was telling me that he was looking for a table saw. He was in the market for one, and he had about $600 to spend, and he couldn't find one that he wanted. And so he hopped on Craigslist, and he saw this amazing table saw on Craigslist for only 500 bucks. It was such a good deal that he thought it was probably a scam. He was going to get robbed. But he calls the guy, and the guy's like, yes, come on. And so he drives up there and he's looking at this table saw and it's practically new. And in the story, he, he's telling me this. He tells the guy, I don't think I can give you 500 bucks. And right then I start thinking to myself, my goodness, is he really going to haggle this guy even lower? And before I could finish that thought, he goes on to say, I can't give you $500. All I can give you is 600. And the guy looks at him and he's kind of stunned. Like what? What? And he goes on to explain that it was it was too good of a deal and he wouldn't feel right about it. And that right there, that little instance of hallowing God's name, of bringing glory to God's name is all it takes to act righteously in every situation, to give mercy when someone doesn't deserve it, or to pay a full price. Um, you're glorifying God. And I think this is such a powerful testimony a powerful concept for us to really think about and dwell on. I don't want us to just skirt by this 
idea and think, that was nice, now let's learn something new. We need to think deeply about what God said to Moses on that mountain, that we are bearing God's name. Now, thankfully, Christ bore it perfectly, and that relieves us of the burden. But we still are invited to step into this, to be his ambassador. That when people see us, they see how good our God is. And I'll tell you, uh, there's a great sermon uh, by Timothy Keller. And if you if you listen to this podcast for any length of time, you'll probably hear that name pop up a lot. I have adored Timothy Keller. I think he's a great preacher, a uh, lot of fun to listen to. He's got a podcast of all of his old sermons. You should totally check it out. He actually passed away last year too. So 2023 really sucked for me and for their families, obviously. Um but I hated to see losing those two godly men and all the impact they've had in my life. But to get back to it, Timothy Keller talks about this idea of duty and delight. And he talks about it, the first time I heard him say it was during a teaching about marriage, that we need to have a sense of duty and a sense of delight. And you think about that, we have this marriage to Christ. We are the bride of Christ. And if Everything that we do comes from a heavy hand of duty or a heavy hand of delight. We're going to be imbalanced, and it's not going to be the experience that it was designed to be. So if bearing God's name, I'll only do it when there's delight, then it becomes shallow and circumstantial, and I'll only do it when certain things are right. And on the flip side, if it's all duty, it becomes cold and rigid and legalistic, and it's just weighty, and and you just don't know what to do. And so I think about this idea that Timothy kind of preaches on that if we are too far to delight, we need to make sure we understand the magnitude of God's glory, that he's not just a loving father, but a mighty king, a mighty creator, a mighty judge. We need to have reverence and realize that we are called to a different life. So in those moments when I'm at church and people are acting goofy or they're talking about me or we're disagreeing, that I have to remember it's my job to hallow the name of God. Or when I'm out and about and someone cuts me off in traffic, or if I see somebody cheating and lying at work, whatever the case might be, I have to remember that my job is to hallow the name of God. And on the flip side, if it's all duty, and I'm just looking at God like this tough, harsh king, then I need to spend time at the feet of Jesus to realize that I've got a God that loves me. No matter what, he loves me deeply. He is compassionate and he's slow to anger. And I have to, I have to do some soul seeking. And I have to do some praying and realize that what he's invited me in is the kingdom. That this is supposed to be a blessing, not just a burden. And so that's my thought for today. Looking back at the Old Testament, reflecting on this third commandment of bearing God's name well and never using it, never lifting it up in vain, but remembering who God is and letting that knowledge of God and his son change how I live my life. But that's all I've got for you today. I hope this conversation was impactful. I hope it opened your eyes to the beauty of the Old Testament and even seeing that Jesus fulfilled that commandment beautifully. And I hope you guys will make your way to the Facebook page, the Royal Pursuit Podcast, and hop on there, comment on this episode, and let's have a discussion about it. 
It's going to be a place where we can talk and hopefully lovingly discuss the scriptures and what it means to follow Jesus. So take this next week, dwell on this concept, and get ready for another conversation next week. I love you guys. We'll talk soon.